putting in place safeguards and routine measures of assurances, and you are aware of the safety impacting implications of any of these automated systems, then we have this opportunity to improve these really critical functions safely. Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, an interview with the General Services Administration's first chief AI officer and a look at how the role of the CAIO is evolving with the Biden administration's AI executive order. It's Thursday, January 18th, 2024. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast, where you'll hear the latest news and trends facing government leaders. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Billy Mitchell. Here's what's happening now. Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith was in Davos, Switzerland this week at the World Economic Forum. During an AI-focused event, Smith detailed how the White House had worked with his company and others, giving them homework assignments ahead of its AI executive order to show what they were prepared to do to address safe, secure, and transparent use of the technology. Smith said Microsoft worked quick to finish that assignment, perhaps too quick, because the White House told the tech company it needed to build further upon what it had delivered. Smith commended the Biden administration for its stern dedication to working with industry to get AI right. Engagement with companies has been a key aspect of the Biden administration's efforts to develop a U.S. policy for AI use and regulation, including obtaining voluntary commitments from firms that they'll manage the risks posed by the budding and rapidly growing technology. In other news, the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, in a new report sponsored by DHS and the FBI, is urging the government and lawmakers to be more proactive on legal and regulatory questions around facial recognition technology. The report found that the nation is lacking in authoritative guidance, regulations, or laws to adequately address issues related to facial recognition, and that executive action and more responsibility for agencies including NIST and others are needed. In particular, the authors of the report urged the president to issue an executive order that develops guidelines for federal agencies on the appropriate use of facial recognition technology that takes into account both equity concerns and the protection of privacy and civil liberties. You can read more about these stories and much more at fedscoop.com. Following the issuance of the Biden administration's executive order on AI, OMB guidance has called for all federal CFO Act agencies to appoint chief AI officers to coordinate their agency's use of AI, promote AI innovation, and manage AI risks while also serving as vice chair of their agency's AI governance boards. The General Services Administration was one of the first agencies to name a CAIO, giving its chief data officer, Zach Whitman, a dual hat as its AI officer. Whitman, also a former CDO for the Census Bureau, spoke with FedScoop's Madison Alder and Rebecca Highwall about the new role, how he's managing both jobs, what he hopes to get done as GSA's first chief AI officer, and much more. I'll pass it over now to Madison and Rebecca for that interview with Zach Whitman. Zach Whitman, thank you so much for joining us on the Daily Scoop. Uh, you are currently the chief data scientist at GSA, but you have also been one of the individuals named or designated as CAIO, uh, chief AI officer for GSA. And uh, agencies are, are you know coming up with these positions now and in naming individuals. Uh, and we're we'd really like 
are really interested in learning more about how you are handling both of these roles concurrently. Um, so, you know, I think the first question is really, how are you approaching the role of uh, chief data scientist and CAIO together? Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, so it's been an interesting um, uh, beginning, I would say. We're, we're, we're embarking on a somewhat new territory. Um, we are building upon a lot of the core responsibilities that were outlined as the responsible AI official, which is what I inherited when I came on board. Um, the large point of that would be making sure that we are properly inventorying and monitoring uh, our AI uses across the agency and being transparent about what types of uh, deployments we're making. I think with the expansion, uh, with the executive order, the expansion of the role into the CAIO role, which I like to call the cow, which no one likes, but feels right, <laughs> is um, the, the idea that we want to expand that view into our, uh, our AI deployments and make sure that, one, we're doing it responsibly, transparently, but also we want to encourage uh, opportunities uh, for expanding that across the agency a little bit more broadly. We, we feel like there's a ton of mission-centric work that we could be doing that AI would help facilitate or benefit from, um, ultimately freeing up a lot of our workforce from maybe some of the banal or routine activities and uh, free them up to be a little bit more creative in their day-to-day -day work. Uh, ultimately, we see this as a, as a productivity enabler rather than any kind of like function replacement. We think it's just uh, an empowerment and just another tool in our tool belt that we can use to better serve our mission and, um, and ultimately our customer and the public. Yeah, I'm curious, you know, what was your experience with AI and machine learning systems before uh, being appointed to the chief AI officer role, um, both at GSA, but maybe even before, I believe you were also at the Census Bureau. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it was much more, um, so it, it ranged, um, obviously starting out as much more at the practitioner level, um, came to DC as, uh, uh, as a consultant working in advanced analytics practices where we would deploy AI ML models for specific use cases, provided that the uh, the agency in question was was comfortable with that approach. I think observability or maybe like transparency or explainability oftentimes is a, a stick in someone's craw when you're proposing these ideas. But by no means was it like, um, you know, early days, we were in the mainstream for a lot of these deployments. Um, at the Census Bureau, I think what we, I took more of a managerial perspective where we are trying to deploy AI ML type functions within existing products and, and services that would ultimately be either consumed internally or the public. And a lot of times these are much more low risk type functions where it's search uh, you know, type applications or uh, general NLP type uh, ideas or you know, content extraction for internal processing for uh, feedback that we may receive from certain systems. So there's a lot of like different applications that we're using. And ultimately we were just using that as a, uh, as a means to make our, our team more efficient, not having to rely on like manual curation or, or hard coding a bunch of rules or logic to uh, basically jump over that heuristic problem that you typically run into, which is like, if then therefore we'll do this. We, we found a lot of efficiencies just by deploying um, either small or targeted uh, applications of ML or AI uh, across the board. And I think one of the things that we've noticed is like just making sure that everyone's comfortable with the approach has been ultimately one of the, the, the key things that we wanted to work on as a project onset. Hey, we're going to try these approaches, these methods. We think they'll help. Here's a proof positive of a demonstration of this, but we think this can scale. And, and, and it was that journey that usually led us to seeing things more evolve into that productionized state 
as long as you can make sure that everyone's comfortable and understand how you're deploying them and what are the boundaries of that deployment, uh, where it can go wrong, and being eyes open on those types of situations is really critical uh, whenever we're deploying it. So my history has been ranging, but it started at the practitioner practitioner level where I was much more focused on the uh, the user experience of working with the systems. So the idea of like, if you're a data scientist, how easy is it to get access to new models or try models out or experiment or sandbox? And then how do I move those into a development uh, environment? So that, that kind of on the ground uh, touch point has been really helpful as I've had to move forward and, and try to support others doing that work and, and trying to build infrastructures that can enable those data scientists or practitioners rather than producing a bunch of red tape or overbearing uh, regulations on top of their um, ability to try things out and then ultimately move forward in the development pipeline. So it, it's been ranging a little bit. I'm curious what the process has been like, you know, working with other agencies so far uh, after the, the EO. Uh, I know that the, the Chief AI Officers Council uh, had its first meeting on December 12th, which we reported and, and focused on kind of a slew of, of different topics to get things going, like functions of the council and uh, you know, the National AI Talent Surge, risk management. What has it been like working with other agencies and other uh, CIOs or, or cows uh, on, on these AI issues? Don't, if we say cow, I, I, I pitched that at that meeting and got mixed, uh, mixed results. So I don't know if it's going to go. <laughs> um, Fair enough. Um, I heard Kayo. That was another option. Um, I just don't know. I just don't know. Hmm. Um, but effectively, what we're, uh, it, was, it was a great meeting because I think one thing that we have in spades is our ability to collaborate across a wide set of mission. And um, everyone's very free and open and transparent about like, hey, what lessons have you learned here? Um, and what have you tried here? And how can we exchange information more freely from our specific vantage point? Um, you know, I was asking DHS about their recent uh, PIA that they dropped around I, uh, AI, and I was like, oh, okay, so what was the motivation for that? Why did you do that? What was that um, intended purpose and how we might be able to take lessons from their experiences and vice versa? We were um, obviously really uh, proud of the work we've done with the uh, AI talent surge that we've been uh, shepherding behind TTS's uh, strong efforts. Uh, we've seen an enormous amount of um, interest in applications for our, our digital core and, and our PIF program from an AI talent perspective. So that's been really exciting to see that response. Um, but making sure that we understand uh, you know, the equities from everyone else, like how can we help support your talent needs? Um, what about you know FedRAMP? What can we do to help expedite uh, the acquisition of this stuff and clearance of this stuff? So you know having close partners with Fast ITC to make sure that we are providing guidance to. Uh, the other agencies on how to safely and rapidly procure uh, uh, AI uh, product sets are really important. So it's, it's just been really great to be able to lean into that community and um, both take away a lot of lessons and, and best practices, but also be able to flag where we can support their their efforts as they continue forward. Yeah, that that's so interesting. You know, one thing that we've kind of noticed, uh, obviously it was that first executive order on AI from 2020, but you know, amid this new executive order and the, the draft OMB guidance, it seems like there's increasing focus on thinking about not just AI use cases generally, but really thinking about them in terms of risk and in particular um, AI systems that are considered rights impacting or could impact safety or things like that. And that seems like something, assuming the guidance you know, finalizes kind of new. And I'm curious about how your 
thinking about that within your own role, but also just sort of in your conversations with other agencies as well? Yeah, I love the um, the perspective that the memo is putting out for us, where it, it allows us to clearly demarcate high risk versus low risk applications, so that we we are enabling the uh, and empowering our teams to think about where AI can plug into existing workflows, but also doing it in a risk centric mindset, where we we are cognizant of the potential for these certain applications and certain use cases to get into the rights or safety impacting scenarios where far more uh, assurance and monitoring and rigor would be required if you wanted to deploy in those types of settings. Um, it's, it's interesting because, you know, in, in a lot of cases, you see a lot of risk aversion um, to, to these types of uh, deployments and use cases. But ultimately, if it yields a better result, provided you are uh, putting in, in place safeguards and, and routine measures of assurances and and you are aware of the safety impacting implications of any of these automated systems, um, then we have this opportunity to improve these really critical functions safely and, and doing it in a way where in which we're transparent, we're, we're, we're very clear about how this stuff is being deployed. Um, it's clear when you're interacting with these systems and how they're behaving. Um, th I think there's, a, there's an opportunity here provided that everyone is um, really clearly understanding why. I think the why is really important so that it's not just seen as this uh, large impediment to, you know, innovation, but it's, it's, a, it's doing it in a safe and um, transparent manner. So um, I really enjoyed, or I really appreciated the amount of specificity that the memo goes into in terms of like what you should do from like a board perspective, a monitoring perspective, a, um, you know, a public dissemination perspective. These are the things that we're, we care about and this is how we're gonna provide assurances and it also provides the opportunity for folks to comment about how they feel about that approach and what else we're missing to further improve the rigor of these um, monitoring systems. So I, I really appreciate uh, the, the, the detail that it went into. And I know that more will come out of it um, as this is a rapidly evolving space. But ultimately, the observability of these systems is really critical to ensuring that they're done safely. We noticed in your AI use case inventory that you listed a really interesting use case um, for a solicitation review tool uh, that is, is used to determine whether a solicitation contains compliance language on SAM.gov. Tell us a little bit more about that use case in particular and, and kind of how AI should be used or, or shouldn't be used uh, in some cases to make decisions. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think one thing that I'm proud about that use case is that it it doesn't it doesn't appeal to this like hands off the steering wheel type approach where these decisions are being completely from from entrant to exit being managed by an automated system where uh, the decision is being made at the point of the system and, and no human intervention is happening. I, I think the, the way in which that that, that pilot was stood up with or that uh, uh, implementation was stood up was it was it was done in a safe way where it enabled for more efficient um, use of time from these these incredibly specialized functions and roles. I mean, government acquisition is one of the more specialized functions that exists in this world, it seems like. And to have folks uh, being able to use their time more effectively by focusing in on what needs to be focused by an automated flag in a way that's more robust and able to, again, jump over this heuristic problem where if it's like, if it doesn't include this exact string or copy, then, you know, it, it passes a test. It's a more robust and, and um, a generalizable way to get through a lot of copy, which we all know is, is a big part of this whole thing, is if we can identify and, and 
and identify the signals quickly, we can spend more time engaging in the actual work of, of that specialist rather than wasting their time having to scroll through a bunch of pages where, that aren't relevant to their, to their day. And I think if you, if you take that use case and you kind of take it over to other types, I think there's a lot of parts of our day-to-day -day work where we're spending not doing the thing that we're really specialists in doing. Like a data scientist for, for us, we oftentimes are working on cleaning up our data before we even get to the interesting problem that we wanted to solve. And that time between the cleanup and the work is oftentimes a really demoralizing one because you, you have this moment of inspiration or you're, you're engaged in this idea where you have to spend all this overhead before you get to the really interesting part doing boring, banal work. And so I, I like that use case because it, it shows how we can cut right through to, in a more efficient way, we can cut right through into the meat of the problem and, um, and expedite the uh, response back uh, to, to the people who, who really need that response quicker. So our last question, um, sort of about looking forward, obviously we know about the disclosed use cases that um, are in that inventory, but I'm curious like what you're most excited for or what um, AI uses you think are going to be like really helpful or really like groundbreaking um, in your role in, you know, the coming months and, and years as this really takes off. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's a couple fronts that I'm really excited about, which is one, the, um, the, 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 the clear focus that the federal complex has now in, in terms of attracting AI literate talent. And I'm, I'm using that generally because it's like we're not just focused on the folks who are building models, but the folks who can use models or the folks who can manage models or the folks who can understand how this can plug into different workflows. And we have a real opportunity to reimagine processes that may have existed for a long time that if you inject it with a new function could be made way more efficient. Um, so we're, we're really excited about the opportunity across the workflow, not just on like the specifics of like, you know, the, the folks who just deal with building models and designing them, but really about the general application across multiple work streams. And I think that's one thing that I like about the EO is it's not really, it make, it's, it's cognizant of the fact that these types of applications and the trainings and the upskilling needs to happen across the board. Everyone needs to become literate because it can affect such a variety of workflows. And um, it, it's, not a, it's not a specialist or a technical um, uh, focused uh, application anymore. Um, so that broad-based application is really exciting. The amount of training that we've been doing, our collaboration with Stanford to build out um, our, our AI training uh, module has been a really big success. We want to only expand those types of activities. Um, our community of excellence has been um, a forefront in, in the AI voice and community for the federal government as well as GSA. Fostering that community amongst the federal workforce and technologists is something that's really important because we can provide a, a home for folks who want to work on mission-critical, mission-centric work in a very technical, forward-facing manner. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to, to, to work on commercial technical aspects, but when you have the mission that you can, you can grab onto and really focus on and then apply new and emergent and exciting technology to that to build new, faster, better ways of conducting business, which in our case is mission service to the public and to our federal partners, it's, really, it, it's a really empowering position to be in. You get to do meaningful work. You get to do meaningful work with others who are doing really meaningful work. And you can only just build upon that energy and excitement, provided that we give those technologists the support, the infrastructure, and the, um, the, 
the, the, the pathway, that long roadmap forward uh, so they can see themselves here for years uh, doing really great work. So, I mean, generally, I think it's, it's, it's going back to that workforce, making sure that we have that community and that sense of uh, that sense of mission connecting the two together. And if we bring people here, we have great work for them to do and we enable that great work. So th that's really the, the core focus for me. This has been so wonderful. I hope we can stay in touch. We're super interested in all the AI work that you guys are, are working on. And, and we really appreciate you taking the time. And I hope you'll uh, keep talking with us and, and share more information as it becomes available. Anytime. Thank you for the conversation and the great questions. And uh, really looking forward to hearing more about what you guys find out. So thanks. You can learn more about Chief AI Officers at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all podcast platforms. If you've already rated the podcast on your platform of choice, thanks so much. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people to find it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Adam Butler and Carlin Fisher help put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. We'll be back next week with brand new episodes. Until then, I'm your host, Billy Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening.